0: Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. tendency and I don't know if it was conscious or spirit led. The Bible doesn't really tell us, but he took the approach of always going to the major metropolitan areas in whatever area he was going through. Now, it's interesting that some later later missionaries on a later school of thought said, you know, you want to go into the brush and the back country and reach the natives. That didn't seem to be Paul's approach at all. Paul would go to a major regional area. Every city he seems to have stopped at was a fairly major regional capital or, or a major Roman city. and these two places that he passes through, it just kind of mentions them. They're little hick towns on the way and you know I, I sometimes wonder, you know is that the spirit telling him to keep going but but that's what he did. So he comes to Thessalonica, Thessalonica verse two, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, so three weeks in a row, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, as was his custom. You know, it's amazing when you read First and Second Thessalonians, the things that Paul covered. He was only there three weeks, and then he gets run out of town, and he writes these letters back to them, and he says, as I told you before. So, you know, we usually think that there's sort of basic you know there's the real important things of salvation and who Jesus is and then there's this other stuff that we may not want to get into until somebody's more of a mature christian or you know has been a believer for a while things like the the rapture and the second coming and the antichrist and if you read the letters he referred to all those cuz he refers back to remember what i told you when i was there well wait a minute you mean you were telling these brand new Baby Christians, people who were maybe not even Christians yet, were on the, on the fence of converting. You were telling them about the end times and about the Antichrist and some, some fairly major comments. And the answer is yes, you know, he, he did. Now, I've got another question. Could you present Jesus Christ to someone using only the Old Testament? Stop and think about that, because that's all Paul had to go on. He was going from synagogue to synagogue. He was preaching Christ. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus. You know, it said beginning with the 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 law and the prophets, Jesus explained to them out of their scripture. Well, there there wasn't a gospel of Matthew, there wasn't a gospel of Mark. That was literally the the day well day after, two days after probably the, the the resurrection and Easter Sunday and you know, and he's explaining out of the Old Testament. So, where would you go in the Old Testament? Well, maybe Isaiah fifty-three that, that talks about the suffering servant. That's great. That entire chapter is very, very predictive of everything Christ would go to. Maybe, maybe um, Psalms twenty-second, twenty-second Psalm is all about um, the work on the cross. You know, maybe you'd you'd go to the Akida, the the prophecy and. At Abraham was acting out prophecy, where Abraham goes up on the mountain and offers Isaac. That's very, very prophetic, but you know it kind of pinches that it'd be a little hard. I don't know that I could do it, and I think most of us would have a hard time doing it. But that's what he was doing. That's what Paul was doing. He was reasoning to them the the scripture. You know, he was explaining out out of the. The Bible that they had, which was the Old Testament, that Jesus Christ had to be the the Son of God because he's fulfilling all these many, many scriptures. So, continuing on, verse 3, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. That was the hardest thing for most of the the scholars, the rabbis, to believe because they believed that, well, first of all, they, they generally believed that there would be two Messiahs. They believed Messiah, Mashiach, son of David, and Mashiach, son of Joseph, that the, the son of Joseph would be the one that would suffer all this stuff, and that the son of David would come to rule and reign with an iron rod. They couldn't get their mind around the fact that there were two, um, which is why they had they had such a hard time with with Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. So, This Jesus that I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. In other words, he goes through the scriptures, he builds his case, and then he says, it's got to be Jesus. This Jesus that I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. That's great. It had, three weeks he's there, and he has a revival. You know, He saves people. People are you know, some Jews, some, some God-fearing Greeks, Greeks who worshipped in the synagogue, quite a few prominent women. Verse 5, uh-oh. But other Jews were jealous. You know, it's interesting that when you go through the book of Acts, it's always jealous Jews that are causing the problems. They're causing riots, they're 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 getting upset. It's it's never the the Greeks, it's never the Romans, it's always Jews, and this clearly says why they were doing it. Other Jews were jealous. You know, it's sometimes when things don't go our way, we have a tendency to get a little bit uncomfortable. Well now, now they're they're preaching to these people, you know, in, in teen challenge, and they're not doing it the way I would. And people are getting saved, how dare they? You know, it's we've got to be really, really careful that if if somebody's doing something and it may not be quite the way that we're comfortable with here, but if it's having results, God bless them. You know, God bless them. Celebrate the success and not maybe if, if it's not the way you would do it or maybe the way you would like to see it done. You know, um, you know I, I'd love to have this place filled out, but you know what? Other churches are meeting a need in Bakersfield. There's lots of different churches that are meeting needs, that are saving people. And in fact, probably some of the people that are getting saved in some of those places would never set foot in here for, for whatever reason. So um, don't, don't get mad because it's not happening the way you would want it. Uh-oh, but that's what they do. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. <laughs> this is kind of funny. We want to start a riot, but we don't really want to do it ourselves. So we'll get we'll hire a riot. We'll get you know one eight hundred rent a mob or something like that. You know we'll we'll get some guys to do it for us. Does that sound like what we're seeing on the the TV and the news and some of these things where you know the mobs are going in and doing things and you wonder who's funding them and who's coordinating it, because you think maybe the people that are funding it and coordinating it aren't getting their hands dirty, but they're getting the, they're getting the mob to go do it for them, and they started a riot in the city. What do you know? They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. The, the King James translates that they've turned the world upside down, and now they've come here. You know, would that it could be said about us that we're being so effective in our ministries and our evangelism that we're turning bakersfield upside down and that the that the government and others are are upset because so many people are getting saved and jason has welcomed them into his house that's You know, they're kind of accusing him. They are defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard all this, the crowd and the officials were thrown into a turmoil. Then they made Jason and others post bond and let them go. That's funny. Jason isn't doing anything. He put the guys up for the night, you know, or gave them a place to stay and maybe a little bit of hospitality. And he gets stuck posting bail. The the actual if you if you read and understand it it seems like Jason is being asked to post bail to make sure they leave to make that's really a foreign concept is you know you you post bail to make sure that they they get out of town but that seems to be what was what was happening there as soon as it was night the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea on arriving there. They went into the Jewish synagogue. You know what? We've started a riot in every place we've ever been, just about. But you know, we're going to go keep. We're going to keep the same formula. We're going to go to Berea. We're going to go right back into the Jewish synagogue. Now, I, I want to camp on this verse for a minute or two. Um, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Do you want to be called more noble? I mean, Thessalonica, they they were good. They they founded a good, thriving church. Paul wrote a couple of letters to them. We don't see any letters in the, the scripture to the church at Berea. Um, so so what happened? But yet they get this great little compliment. This is the only reference to them. They get this great little compliment. They were of more noble character. Why? Because they searched the scripture, because they received the word with where's it great eagerness. The King James says joy. And they examined the scriptures every day to see what, if it's true. You know, it's, it's a twofold thing. We want to be, we want to receive the word with joy. If somebody comes and, and preaches, I hope you come with expectation. I hope you come expecting to get something out of every time you're in church. You know, sometimes the messages may be, um, they may get us more excited, sometimes they may be more accessible, sometimes they may be a little drier. but I hope you come and say that god what do you what do you have for me i I want to get something out of this, and when you 're listening get 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 excited, receive it with joy but 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 I, I like the quote of Ronald Reagan. Reagan said, "Trust." But verify <laughs> but then then it sounds like every night they went home and they I can't even imagine because it was scrolls and you know they didn't have they didn't have the bible they didn't have the bible app on their phone you know if I hear something funny I can I can google it and you know I can look it up on the phone and you know there was a there was a bible uh, teacher he was kind of one of these name it and claim it guys, which I'm always a little bit skeptical about, anyway. But he was talking about how um, Paul had a thorn in his flesh, and then he re- and then he tied that into thorns in the in um, when the parables in Matthew, the parables of the sower, and so the thorns came up and they choked it out, and, and Jesus said that those thorns were the cares of this world. So he said, well, Paul's really wasn't a physical ailment because christians really can't get sick and hurt and certainly not somebody as good as paul and here you can see why well it kind of rubbed me the wrong way and i looked it up and those are two different words for thorns it's not even the same thing so this guy was way out in the left field and it took 30 seconds to find it on my on my phone you know, so the the thorn that Paul had the word the word is for splinter or tent peg, so it's a wooden thing. You you think of a it can mean tent peg, and it that would be a big thorn, um, or it, or it can be a, a splinter. You know, the idea of a, a piece of wood that, that causes you pain. And the word in, in Matthew when Matthew talks about the thorns coming up and choking them out. It's thorn like you think of a thorn on a rose bush, uh, or you know, a thorn on a, a tumbleweed or something. It's, it's that kind of a thorn. So completely different words, not even related to each other, and yet this guy was tying these two things together to try to make a doctrinal point that really wasn't right. I mean, there's the, I won't. this isn't the, the time or place for that, but it, was, it wasn't right. And so I think the lesson for all of us is to come expecting, but you know what? whether it's me, whether it's Pastor James, whether it's our new pastor, you know, it's okay to to go back and and check it out. You know, I I hope I don't ever screw anything up, but I may. In fact, I probably will at some point in time, because we're all all human. So, and in fact, we're going to see in a a little bit um, where where somebody else screws something up and how they correct him. So let's continue on. Um, As a result, many of them believed, as also did a prominent number of Greek women and many Greek men. Again, he's having success. But when the Jews at Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God to the Bereans, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds. And well, Give me a break. They, it's, it's, they, they, they run him out of their town, but then, then they hear that there's a revival up the street a ways, and then they go to that town and they start a riot again and try to drive him out of that. These guys will not Will not stop. And it's just a shame. It's just a shame. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, then left with instructions um, for Silas and Timothy to join him as, as soon as possible. Now, Athens. Athens in the ancient world was the center of intelligence, it was the home of Plato, the home of Socrates. This was the intelligentsia place. It wasn't a very big city. It wasn't nearly as big as many other cities in the ancient world, but it was absolutely um, the center of intelligence. There were lots of idols. Um, it's projected that there were about 3,000 individual gods that they, that they worshiped in one form or another there, and 30,000 idols or statues. Um, in fact, the saying was there were more idols than there were people in the city. So that gives you, that gives you, they had, they had gods for everything. If you, you know, they had gods for tall and gods for small and gods for love and gods for war and gods for a sunny day and gods for rain. And I mean, pretty much anything you can think of, they had a god for it. And then they had this, this extra thing, because in case they forget some guy, they had the unknown god. In fact, there's a story of a plague, that Athens got hit with a really bad plague, and they had a sheep herder bring the flock of sheep in, and they turned the sheep loose, and wherever a sheep would would kneel down or, or go to sleep, they would sacrifice the sheep to the nearest idol there. And whenever a sheep would lie down where there wasn't an idol around, they would sacrifice it to this unknown god. Just covering our bases, we're going to make sure everybody uh, you know, everybody gets a sacrifice, every, you know, every god, the god of... In fact, all the, all the major um, professions had gods. So if you were a tailor, you'd have the god of the tailors. If you were a, a metal worker, you'd have the god of the, the metal workers. It was, it was really pretty crazy. Um, so, so let's pick it up. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and god fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day-to-day with those who happened to be there. So he's evangelizing wherever he goes. You know, if he's, in the, if he's in the temple, if he's in church, so to speak, he gives a message in the church. If he's out in the marketplace, he's going to evangelize there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others said he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. So the the Stoics, um, well, the Epicureans... They believed in, in pleasure. It originally had been, Epicurus had lived about 300 years before that. It originally had been a, a fairly noble thing. It was, the, it was celebrating the simple life. So while they, while they celebrated pleasure, they originally believed in it like being simple, like you'd have a small house, and you'd have one thing in it, and you'd, you'd eat one meal, and you'd celebrate simplicity. Well, that had gotten very changed, over 300 years. Now they were gluttons, and they were eating as much as they could, and drinking as much as they could, and partaking in all kinds of stuff, and really a, a gluttonous um, life. Um, the Stoics they were they believed everything was God, and they had a very simple you know kind of whatever will be will be because everything is God and God is in every you know there's nothing new under the sun if you if you find a weird cult or a weird line of thinking today you can probably find it you know 2,000 years ago or something in in Greece there is nothing new under the sun so they so they say uh, you know he seems to be advocating for foreign gods they said this because God was because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection then they took him to a meeting of the Arapagos or Arapagos, where they said the so the Arapagos is actually the name today of the Greek court. It was the place where you were, um, Plato preached or shared his ideas and philosophized. It was about halfway up from the marketplace to the Parthenon. The Parthenon, there's all the the huge result ruins of the temple on top. Um, the, the Arapagos, which is also the name of today's Greek court and justice. So they bring him to this place and they may say they say may we know this new teaching that you are presenting. You are presenting some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Well that's that's a pretty good audience. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas you know, it's kind of like sitting around and clicking through the TV channels and you're looking through for something new. These guys were sitting there and philosophizing and talking all day long and looking for the greatest new thing um, that was an idea. So Paul stood up in a meeting of the Eropagus and said, people of Athens, I can see that in every way you are very religious. That's a really polite way to start. I would have gone heathens, you guys are you, know, you guys are idiots. You're celebrating three thousand gods and you know, but no, that's not the approach he takes. He's very respectful. I, I actually like that. He takes a very respectful one he says, You're very religious, for I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god. So you are ignorant of this very thing you worship. And this thing is what i 'm going to proclaim to you, so he starts with where they 're at, and now he 's going to pre- present the gospel he 's going to talk about how great God is, um, the goodness of God, how God governs you know god 's glory, and then he 's going to gradually work it into work it into a message about jesus, but he 's going to do it in a way that they can they can receive if they've got open hearts you know he's going to approach it in a a good way the god who made the world and everything in it is the lord of heaven and earth and he does not live in temples built by human hands that's true that that we we would absolutely agree with that you can kind of see that he's starting to get to him and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring." i don 't have a problem with any of that that's that's that 's doctrine, but can you see that he 's if he 'd started with jesus he 'd probably had a problem because they, they wouldn 't have had a basis if he 'd started with prophecy if he 'd started with the same way he reasoned in the synagogues. They don't know the scriptures. They don't know the Old Testament. They wouldn't have had any basis for that. So he's coming at God the creator. God created everything. We're created beings. We're created to worship and to serve. So he's coming from an angle that they'd be receptive for. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image made by human design and skill. Well, now he's starting to crimp a little bit, because he, now he's saying, all your, your golden statues, your silver statues, your stone statues, they're you know, they're really nothing. They're made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And there he goes, he gets he gets to the gospel or the, the repentance message for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given this proof to everyone by raising him from the dead when they heard about the raising from the dead some of them sneered but others said we want to hear you again on this subject okay we got a problem when 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 someone is presented the gospel one of the one of the ways they can react is to make fun of it to sneer to you know, to say, ah, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. Another thing is to put it off. Put it off till tomorrow. Put it off till next week. Put it off till next month. And neither one of those are are going to lead you to salvation. But at least after that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagos and also a woman named Demarius and a number of others. There's a tradition that Dionysus ends up founding the Greek church. Um, so, you know, even if only two people got saved, it only takes one to, you know, one spark can create a wildfire if it's, if it's the right one. It, it appears that after after this, so verse eighteen man i 've got to get it in gear here. Um, that always happens doesn 't it? Um, after this, Paul left and went to Corinth. Corinth was different than than Athens. Um, Corinth was not did not have as many um, idols. It was a much bigger city, it was a major trading center, it was an independent Roman city that had gotten its charter from the from the Senate, very wealthy. Very licentious, so the 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 thing going on in in Corinth was licentiousness. The the temple of Aphrodite there were over a thousand um, temple prostitutes. So you you get the the, and you get you kind of get that from reading from reading first and second Corinthians, that that was the problem they had. There a woman named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife? Priscilla. Did I say woman? No, Aquila is the male. There he meant, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. That was approximately forty nine A.D. Claudius um, issued an edict that all Jews had to leave um, had to leave Rome. Uh, so remember that it's it's Aquila and Priscilla here. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So Paul was a tent maker. Apparently he rolls up his sleeves and says, Well, I got nothing nothing else to do. I'll, I'll go to work. I'll work with you guys. Um, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So now he's back to the Sabbath. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So we we gather from a couple of the letters that when when Silas and Timothy came, they brought an offering from some of the churches that he had visited earlier. That offering was enough that Paul didn't have to work to support himself. So he was able to become full-time ministry. You don't anywhere see that Paul is asking for asking for money where the people he's at he's he's willing to work and he's willing to willing to not work willing to do full-time mission missions all right here we go again but when they opposed paul and became abusive <laughs> you know here he shook out his clothes in protest and said your blood be on your own hands i'm innocent of it from now on i'll go to the gentiles this is funny then paul left the synagogue and and went next door to the house of Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God. So he, he cleans out, uh, like, like turning out your pockets, you know, saying, I don't want even the dust of, of the synagogue to be on me. And he kind of throws a hissy fit and leaves and goes right next door, uh, right next door to, to this guy, Justice, um, who's, a, who's become a believer. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So even though he gets kicked out of the synagogue, God does a work, and apparently quite a few people believe. Now one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and nobody is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. Why would he have to say that to Paul? (coughs) Well, because he was afraid, obviously. You don't tell somebody, do not be afraid, unless they're afraid. So in spite of, you read Paul's letters, you read certain other places in Acts, and you think he's he's kind of a Superman. You know, he says, you know, I was shipwrecked, Five times, I think. I've been beaten three times. You know, he, he goes through this litany at the end of 2 Corinthians about how much he's suffered, and you think, well, man, this guy's got to be, he's, he's like Superman. He can put up with anything, and yet that's not true. He apparently was was afraid. He apparently was considering not keeping on speaking. He was considering being silent, you know, because of all the Maybe he's having doubts. Maybe he's having depression. I don't know. But God gives him these words to keep on speaking and, and keep on preaching for I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. And you know what? He didn't get attacked and didn't get harmed in in that city. God honors his word. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Galilee, Gallio was pro count, the proconsul of Achaia. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to a place of judgment. This man, they said, is proclaiming, is persuading people to worship God in ways that are um, contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them So imagine Paul trying to get up and make his defense, and the Roman governor, the head of the province, says, I got this. I got this. You're not going to have to defend yourself. He says, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable to me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourself. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. So the, you know, the, the Roman governor governor of this area drives them off himself. Then the crowd turned on Sothenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. I love that. I kind of think that maybe the governor realized that they're jealous. This is a religious thing. He's he's evangelizing. Some people are getting are becoming believers, and these these old guys they don't like it. So they're trumping up some charges, and he's just sitting back and watching them watching him beat, beat him. Now, what's interesting is the first synagogue leader, Crispus, so the first synagogue leader, Crispus, became a Christian, and, and he left. The next, his, the guy that gets promoted after him is this guy, Sothenes, the guy that gets beat up. Later on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul calls him out by name as a leader of the church, so the guy that was leading the attack on Paul, somehow in a period of time, we don't know how it happened. The Bible's silent on that. But gets saved and becomes enthusiastic and becomes a leader of the church in Corinth. That's that's how God is. That's how God works. Um, all right, I got. Ten minutes to get through two pages. We're, we're, not, we're probably not going to get this done. Um, so Paul stayed, in, Paul stayed in Corinth sometime, then he left the brothers and sisters. He sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So they went from being co-workers to co-ministry. And it's also interesting that their names switch. Because when, they were, when he was working in the tent business with them, and earlier, it was the man's name first, Aquila, and then Priscilla. But here, here that he's gone into missionary work with them, the names switch. They switch several times. Um, it's interesting that the scripture always puts the, the more important person first. And the lesser important, If or if there's a list of things, usually the most important on the list is the first thing. So it seems like a subtle thing that the Holy Spirit is saying that somehow Priscilla was more engaged in the ministry than her, than her husband. But they both go with Paul. He himself went into the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews. They asked him to spend more time. He declined. He promised, I'll come back again if it's God's will. He set sail from Ephesus when he landed at Caesarea. So the reason he probably had to, or probably wanted to go was he had had taken a vow. We don't know, it doesn't specify what the details of the vow were. It was probably a vow of thanksgiving. And typically when they took a vow, they let their hair grow real long, and then they had to cut it off and offer it in the the temple as a sign that their, their vow was over. You typically had 30 days from when you cut your hair or ended the vow to to offer that in Jerusalem. So that's probably why he's in such a hurry to get back to to Jerusalem. Um, So he goes back to Jerusalem. It says he went up to Jerusalem. He's actually coming from the coast. We've talked about this, I think, once before, that Jerusalem, every direction is up. When we think of a map, we think of if you say I'm going up somewhere, you're going north. You know, but Jerusalem was the high place in the city, and spiritually, it's the high place. It's always referred to as up, whether you're coming from the south or the west or the north. Part of it is because of its elevation. That from whatever direction you're going, you're going up, and part of it is also God's um, um, spiritual thing. That it's it's on an elevated place. Um, so he went up to Jerusalem, then he went down to Antioch. I wonder what he did there. You know, the, the, we we. He, he covers you know fifteen hundred miles in about three verses, and it doesn 't say what he did there. I would like to know, but we don 't know so uh, verse twenty three after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. He talked about Jesus accurately, although he only knew the baptism of John. In other words, he doesn't doesn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He knows about the baptism of repentance, but he's an educated guy. He's a powerful orator. You're going to see Apollos in 1 Corinthians shows up. Up that he's he's almost formed a faction. There's like the Church of Paul, there's the Church of Apollos. You know, some say I serve Peter. And, and Paul condemns that in the in 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, you, you don't make a, a movement out of a guy. But this guy must have been pretty impressive. Uh, but the problem is he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and they explained the way. They explained to him the way of God more adequately. You know, they didn't call him out. They didn't call him out in front of others. They didn't say, oh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You only got half the story. You're missing out on the resurrection. You're missing out on the power of the Holy Spirit. You're missing out on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't No, They, they, they quietly invited him into their home and then explained the things that he was missing in his, his doctrine. You know, I, I think that's a good lesson for us as well. That, you know, sometimes people are, are a little bit out in the left field, and you, know, you, you want to gently, politely um, correct them, as well as inviting them, inviting them into his house. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him, wrote the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate. Again, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So so we end kind of where we began two chapters ago. You know, using the scripture, using the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you. I'm very thankful for the New Testament, Lord, because I don't think I could, I think I'd have trouble doing that out of the Old Testament, proving that Jesus was the Messiah. So we thank you for all of your word, for every line, every page, every detail, because we know it all points towards Jesus. Pray that you'd bless your people tonight, that there was at least one thing that we could take out of, out of this lesson tonight and apply it to our own lives. Maybe we're in a place in our life where you, we need to hear from you. Don't be afraid to share. Don't be afraid to share at work. Maybe we, need to, maybe we need to know that you'll protect us. Maybe there's something else. I pray that you'd bless your people in your mighty name. Amen. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information... Check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.